Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Santa! Oh, my God! Would you please tell him that instead of presents this year, I just want my family back. Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? It must be magic. I must find some way to keep Christmas from coming. Nobody's walking out on this fun, old-fashioned family Christmas. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? True, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Welcome to another episode of Tis the Podcast, the podcast that's determined to keep the Christmas spirit alive 365 days per year. <laughs> I'm Julia. <laughs> 365 days. Okay. 365 days per year. I'm Anthony. I'm Julia. I'm confused. <laughs> why, why are we laughing? We I have was like waiting for Tom to jump in and interrupt me again. <laughs> I'm just sitting here. I'm like, wait, there's got to be something funny, but I don't know what it is. I feel like I'm left out. I'm Tom. <laughs> and I can tell. So you made the joke that there was going to be less editing for you this week, Anthony. If our start is, uh, is indicative, I think you're in for it. That's how you keep it. I am going to keep it, I think. How was your week, guys? Anthony sent Julia and I an amazing Christmas present. Oh, yes. Brightened my season already. And I had first ornament up. I had to rush. I saw, I was, was in the kitchen and I saw that Christina put my mug in the dishwasher. <gasps> I saved it. Don't worry. Good. Yeah, we're good. So for listeners, Anthony sent us Tis the Podcast mugs that was on a few episodes ago when we actually opened them and it was such a surprise. We actually got them in the mail and they're perfect. And he sent us just the coolest card that was New York themed Rockefeller Center and the ornament to go with it. And it was like amazing. It really was. Glad you guys liked it. Thank Christ- you, Anthony. That was just so kind. Christine trolled me over your card, though, Anthony. Why? It was a beautiful. Did card. I spell her name wrong? No, she's like, oh, she's like, are you are you sure you're okay? Anthony got a Chris- got Christmas card sent out before you. Are you gonna freak out? Okay. <laughs> for, for, for the record, <laughs> you guys are gonna get my actual Christmas card. Right? I sent my actual Christmas cards out. Those are like my one year happy anniversary show cards. Oh, I've been using them to brag. I'm like, look, guys, I got a Christmas card already. I have such cool friends. <laughs> it's been a it's been a bragging right. So well, you're not going to get one from me. So don't get your hopes up. <laughs> We've talked about that before. It is starting to feel like Christmas here, legit. So Tom and I that live in the land of never feel like Christmas, it is downright frigid outside. So I am not complaining. It is starting to feel like Christmas. The stores are Christmasing up. I have got some stuff up. So what do I have to complain about? I'm excited. And this movie got me more excited. I have my stuff up too. Your picture is lovely. I wish our <laughs> listeners could see the background. Hold on. I'll screenshot it. Anthony, talk. Talk. What do you want me to talk about? I, uh, I just needed to focus on you so I could screenshot. We have a whole outline, and yet I have no idea what to talk about right now. Oh, I saw the Nutcracker. How was it? Oh, that's I a pause. I, I assume we're going to cover it at some point, but I will just say, to say I was disappointed is a massive understatement. Oh, really? All of my worst fears in the trailers were true, and I'll leave it at that. Oh, wow. no. That's well, if, you look, if you look at Rotten Tomatoes, it, only, it has like under 39%, I think. Not that, not that, I mean, we've talked about this before. I don't usually trust Rotten Tomatoes, but, but they were spot on in my mind. Bummer, dude. Well, poo. Way to bum us all out. Thanks I am for- seeing the Grinch tomorrow. And did you guys see that they have a baby Grinch, a Build-A-Bear? And he looks he adorable. Cute. Yeah. No, do they? <laughs> Yeah. Pretty adorable. Yeah. Yeah. Have, the more I, I'm excited about this movie, guys. It got a lot better reviews than the Nutcracker did. We've got a stupid amount of gift cards for Ellie to build a bear. I may have to go tomorrow. That happened. 
And make hey. a Grinch for Ellie, right? Or for you? Well, I'll say it's Ellie. <laughs> <laughs> because we were going to go to the park, but I think it's going to be a little bit too cold tomorrow. <sighs> Especially yes. for you and your flip-flops. Yeah. Do you know what the temperature is tomorrow night, Julia? It's in the 20s, isn't it? It's gone down to 19. Oh, is that wind chill or is that legit That's on the thermometer? National Weather Service's legit temperature. <gasps> and guys, Nas- National I'm Weather Service even. is saying snow on Monday. Oh my goodness, guys. All right, so what are we doing this week, guys? What, what are we here for? We are covering 1992's Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Which I'm excited about because the last time we talked about Home Alone, it was like episode three of our show. So this is a... Wow, yes. I didn't even think about that. Huh. Okay. Well, that's going to change part of what I was going to say then. I didn't realize it was that long ago. (laughs) (laughs) So, Tom, would you like to give us a synopsis for this movie? A year after he was accidentally left home alone over Christmas and landed the wet bandits in jail... After they tried to rob his house, young Kevin McAllister loses track of his father at the airport and mistakenly gets on a plane headed to New York City, while the rest of the McAllisters fly to Florida. Now, alone in the Big Apple, Kevin cons his way into a room at the Plaza Hotel and plans to enjoy his time alone. But when Kevin discovers that Harry and Marv, now calling themselves the Sticky Bandits, have escaped prison and are on the loose in the city that never sleeps, he sets out to stop them from robbing an elderly man's toy store just before Christmas. I think there's also another synopsis that we should read. A year after getting his first taste for blood while defending his house against the left handed Kevin once again <laughs> finds himself alone for Christmas after his parents, who should have had their children taken away from them at the end of the first film, neglect their youngest once again. This time, however, he finds himself alone in New York City for the holidays. What starts with credit card fraud and scamming Donald Trump leads to torture and attempted premeditated murder when Kevin sets out to stop his old foes from trying to rob a toy store on Christmas Eve. <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's a take. That's an interesting take on this show. Oh, boy. So, so why don't we start with our histories for this film? Julia, why don't you kick us off? So I'm pretty sure I saw this movie in the movie theaters because I remember it being extra magical like everything was when you saw it in the movie theaters when you were a kid. Um, There's a good chance it was the dollar theater that was by my house. But regardless, um, I loved this movie from the get-go as a kid. um, I still love it as an adult. It is pure entertainment. And I will even say my appreciation has grown for it over the years, which surprised me. Julia, I've got to say, too, we talked about this off camera, but I'm going to mention it again for our listeners. I found it funny that you watch this instead of election night results, despite the uh, prominent cameo that occurs in this film. Oh, yes. This is what we decided to watch instead of election results. Because full disclosure, in the state of Oklahoma, I'm often disappointed by our election results. So I figured we're going to make this a good night. We're going to make this night great again, and we're going to watch Home Alone 2, and we're going to enjoy every second of it. So that's what we did. And you know what? It was my most favorite election night ever. It, it, is, it does sound like a great way to spend election night. It does sound a little better than mine was. Tom, what's your history with this film? I don't really know. This movie always just seems to be there. It was never as iconic in my book as the first I found myself liking it a lot less than I thought I did when I watched it this time. How did Ellie like it? Was this her first time seeing it? She got kind of bored. She did get a little disturbed. She was wondering why they kept, why the man kept falling down. And I was like, oh, see, this is why we have to pay attention. This is why you need to listen to mommy and daddy. (laughs) (laughs) So I shamelessly used it to frighten my child about like going on stairs when she's not when we ask her not to or <laughs> things like that. <laughs> so my history of this film is the same as my history with the first one. I did not see it until later on in life. I saw it immediately after I watched the first one for the same time. And because of that, the two films just kind of blend together for me. It really is one film. And we'll get to that in a bit. It's one film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you feel like the fact that your parents didn't have you watch this movie when you were younger, do you feel they were neglectful parents? 
It's not that no, I mentioned this during our history for the first one. It's not that they never like stopped me from watching it. It's just it never appealed to me. There are millions of times I could have watched it. It's just I when okay. I was younger, I uh, was more into the Santa stuff than real world stuff. So you weren't I into the that. real world. I'm still not into the real world. <laughs> <laughs> Is it still on? Is this show still on? I don't think so. I don't. It's think so funny so. that you and I were thinking real world, and he was thinking like the real world. <laughs> Hey, I I used to watch the Real World. That was still on in the nineties and early two thousands. I think it was on. I think well it came out in the nineties. <laughs> it, it started in the nineties, Anthony. We would not have watched it in the eighties because you know we were eight years old. Yeah, it's a little young for the Real World. You I think watch, I started watching Seinfeld in ninety eight. Did you really? Yeah. <laughs> Seinfeld Seinfeld never appealed to me. Me either. I still can't really get through more than one episode at a time. There are a few episodes that have been like, oh, okay, that was funny. But most of them I find just, they just don't end. <laughs> they just don't end. <laughs> well, it's like, I don't know. I read this great article a while back where they said there was a, a, a serious line of demarcation, generational demarcation uh, that you could see from, from like people who preferred Friends versus people who preferred Seinfeld. Yeah. And as I got older, I, I see that more and more. See, that's so weird for me because me and all my friends here prefer Seinfeld over Friends. Younger See, so I wonder if it's a New York thing too. Uh, they like anything in New York. Seinfeld's mm-hmm. definitely more New York than Friends, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. But um, speaking of Seinfeld, this ties back to the movie kind of because I'll mention it later on. But there was somebody who wrote a spec script for Seinfeld that takes place in the week following 9-11, how they would have handled that episode. And it was amazing. Like capture the voice and everything, Seinfeld humor, dark comedy. Like this guy, he would have been hired by that show if it was still on. So if there are any Seinfeld friends out there, I, uh, you should look it up. It's really easy to find online. Just search Seinfeld 9-11 script. And that'll tie back into something I want to say later on in the episode anyway. But let's run through the credits real quick. So most of them are the exact same as the first one, like a lot of things in this movie. Uh, It was directed by Chris Columbus, written by John Hughes. The music was done by John Williams. Macaulay Culkin stars as Kevin McAllister. Joe Pesci stars as Harry Lime. Daniel Stern stars as Marv Merchants. John Hurd stars as Peter McAllister. Catherine O'Hara stars as Kate McAllister. Devin Rattray stars as Buzz McAllister. Jerry Bamman stars as Frank McAllister. Brenda Fricker plays the Pigeon Lady, and she was in My Left Foot, So I Married an Axe Murderer, Angels in the Outfield. Oh, she was his mom. I had forgotten about that. She was <laughs> the mom. Oh, gosh. Head, move, now! <laughs> He'll be and crying his eyes out on his giant pillow tonight. He's <laughs> like Sputnik. Spherical yet pointy at parts. <laughs> She's actually the neighbor of one of our listeners, according to <gasps> George Kenny. Is she really? Graham. She's her neighbor, yep. Oh, that's so cool. Didn't she win an Oscar for My Left Foot? She did, yep. That's awesome. I don't think she's in acting anymore. I think she's retired. But um, Eddie Bracken plays Mr. Duncan, and he was in Hail the Conquering Hero, The Miracle of Morgan's Creek, National Lampoon's Vacation, Oscar, and Rookie of the Year. Uh, and wasn't he in – oh, he wasn't Mr. Duckworth. I was thinking he was Mr. Duckworth in Mighty Ducks, but no, he was Rookie of the Year. I'm thinking the wrong <laughs> sports movie where he's the owner of the team or something like that. Sorry. <laughs> wrong one. The legend that is Tim Curry was also in this movie, and he played Mr. Hector, the concierge at the plaza. And he's in a million things, including the Rocky Horror Picture Show, Annie, Legend, Clue, which, if you want bonus to the podcast content, we cover we covered that movie in a Patreon episode, and it was Tom's first time watching it, so you should check that out. He was also in the original It miniseries. He did a voice on the Wild Thornberries, Star Wars, The Clone Wars, Duckman, Fern Gully, The Last Rainforest. So he's been in a lot. Rob Schneider, 
who I still can't believe doesn't have an Oscar, played Kendrick <laughs> the Bell. <laughs> what, what does he deserve an Oscar for? Is it for Deuce Bigelow, male gigolo? Uh, the hot chick, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> or the bench warmers or grown-ups. Pick your poison. Oh, boy. Is Bob Schneider the one that was in, gosh darn it, my favorite. Oh, was it the animal? Waterboy? No. No. Another Adam Sandler one. He sure was. You can do it. Oh, yeah, that was him. 50 First Dates. Isn't he he the stoner? I think he's in every Adam Sandler movie. Yeah. He has one of my favorite lines in that movie. What's that? When his kids do, when he does the back, he does, all of his kids do the backflip off the dock. And then... All, and then he does it and he hurts himself in the process and he comes back up out of the water. And he's like, oh, he's like, okay, kids, go down there and find my nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Every time. I can't help it. It's so funny. And yeah, that's pretty much it of the new cast. That's pretty much the cast. So do we want to start with what I think the criticism we all have that it was basically a carbon copy of the first movie? This is true. It derivative is. derivative i think what hit me what, what bothered me the most when we started when i started thinking about this film was and it may be the stupidest thing but the bird lady right mm-hmm. we have the exact same story with the creepy shoveling guy i mean like it was exactly the same everything except about you get a happy ending at the end like the shovel guy did no, but I mean, like, how there's this, oh, there's this scary person that's suddenly going to help Kevin out of all of the trouble that he ends up. I don't know. It was just obnoxiously derivative. So I feel like if they wanted to change it up, I was trying to, I was thinking while I was watching this movie, I think they could have kept out the wet bandits and gave him what? different villains. Absolutely. They were in it for like eight no. minutes. Top. Okay. Okay, and that bothered me watching it. The amount of times they crossed paths in New York City, it doesn't happen. If they want, I'm saying if they didn't want it to be a carbon copy, they could have just had him, you could have had the same exact plot, him lost in New York, different villains. You didn't even have to do, they were, you could have had the guy at the hotel be the villain. Like he's trying to rip off the hotel or something, steal from the toy store, whatever. You didn't need I love Joe Pesci and I love Daniel Stern. Daniel Stern. They're hilarious, but you could have done the movie. They didn't need to be there. I felt like they stretched to get them there. I think it would have been a major loss if they weren't there. I I mean, I couldn't have a Home Alone movie without Marv. Guys, Home Alone 4, Taking Back the House, was just fine without them. I was about to say, there are four Home Alone movies without them. Yeah, five. Five total. I don't think anybody dealing with the production and creation of this movie was concerned with the fact that this was a carbon copy in, in every way except for the setting. I don't think that concerned any of them. I'm sure they were fully aware of that because what made the first one so successful was the fun of watching it. And I mean, I still had fun watching this one. It's, it's not the original, but I mean, I enjoyed every minute of this movie. I, hey, I love this movie. I think one of our listeners, and I forget who, I, I forget where they commented, which of our social media sites, but they said, it's good, but like any carbon copy you make with the copier, it comes out sm- a little bit smudged and not as good as the original. And I thought that was a perfect way to very true. put it. I'm sticking with derivative. This one is definitely not as timeless, whereas the first one, you're in the house, right? Like the inside of the house isn't going to change much with the times. The New York City changed a lot. Airplane travel oh changed gosh. a lot. A lot of the things that happened in this movie couldn't happen nowadays. I'm going to quote Peter Griffin when they were discussing The Godfather. It insists upon itself. Who's Peter Griffin? <laughs> From Family Guy. Oh. <laughs> it, this movie insists upon itself. I don't remember the last time I watched this movie, the Twin Towers scene. For mm-hmm. some reason in my mind, I remember that as being on the Eiffel Tower, like so many other, like Sleepless in Seattle has that awesome pull-out shot with the kid and on the Eiffel Tower. And then you've got like all these other iconic movies at the Eiffel Tower. I mean, I did they cut that out 
after that happened. It's always been in there. It was cut out from television multiple times after 9-11. That would make sense because I've seen it in the theaters once when I was a kid and who knows what I saw then. And then I'm just buying it now. But so. still been on Freeform. That's usually where I watch it every year. Oh, I'm saying like, at, right, like shortly, like for the several years right after 9-11. Wow. Oh, right, right, right. Got it, got it. It was, it was okay. for quite a while. Just like Friends and everything else, they yeah. they, they cut it for so long. It so was eerie to me watching that shot, seeing him stand at the top, looking over the city. It is extremely startling. Yeah, like I, I it's a very unsettling. I'm surprised I didn't cut it out, honestly. Because like me being so far removed from everything that happened and not living in the city like you do, it unsettled me a lot. And mm-hmm. I can't imagine people that were so close to it. But at the same time, so that we, was shocking. at the same time, I think we need it. Yeah. It was New York at the time. It's part of our history. And this sounds so hokey, but I feel like if we give all of that up, that the terrorists have won. No, absolutely. Yeah. I agree with that. So the way he's able to get on a plane with no ticket... <laughs> No seat. Like, come on. Come on. How innocent was the plane travel back then? And I that's, rhetor- that's rhetorical. I know it was innocent. Very. I, I, I used to fly before 9-11 for vacation and stuff. I remember how innocent it was. Until you see something like this, you really do forget that, right? Like, right. It, when I saw that and how quickly he was, like, running on the plane, they're getting him there, and they're like, oh, we got to close the doors. I'm like, okay, just let him go. I remember the days then, like, of my mom going to the airport and walking me to the gate and yeah i'd look out of the plane window and she'd be there waving and yeah yeah, it used to be so much fun i used to love going through the metal detectors i thought that was like the most fun thing ever we live super close to the airport (laughs) and i like taking the little trams you know in the airport Uh uh-huh oh yeah around in houston it was like a cave it was awesome and our kids will never know that Ever. Well, it would be so much fun. Like, if you go to the airport to take somebody to the airport, you could get out and go with them. But then you could just sit there and just watch. For however long people would let you, you could just watch the planes take off. And that was so much fun. Yeah, it was. (laughs) And, you know. The old Kevin McAllister was running around the city. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, The owner of the plaza is now in the White House. Oh, does he own the plaza? He owned it back then, yeah. That's why I was oh, in the I didn't know that. That's why he was in there. Gotcha. All right. Yeah, because he has this deal. If he's gonna, if you're gonna use his properties, he has to be in your in your film. He has to be. Which, which made me laugh. Which made me laugh when uh, he sees the plaza in this movie, and he's like, "The plaza, the most luxurious New York hotel." And I thought to myself, "I wonder if that was in the contract they had to put that." <laughs> <laughs> That was the real plaza's number that he called and made the reservation too. Was it really? That's yep. smart. Oh, I'm sure that's good. That's good advertising. advertising right there. I and remember the movie- plaza always looking just totally magical. When I was a kid and I watched this, I'm like, that is exactly where I would want to stay. Absolutely. You, you know, a Christmas movie we have to do at some point is Eloise at the plaza. Eloise at Christmas time. Where she's living oh. at the plaza. Oh, I've not seen that. Nanny. It's it's a kitty movie, but it's cute. It's cute. All I could think when I saw the plaza, and it's probably my view being severely shaded and jaded now, was this looks so ridiculously gaudy, so garish, so over the top. So in the plaza's defense, the exact same plaza was in Big Business, a movie I have referenced here in the past. I'm going to reference it again with Lily Tomlin and Bette Midler. Um, it takes place in the plaza as well. And it's the same time period because it looks exactly the same. It's just not at Christmas time. So I think I have nostalgia for it. Well, once again, I must ask, how much? what do Kevin's parents do for a living that they can fly their family to Paris for Christmas, fly them to Florida for Christmas. Then, ha, last minute room at the plaza that fits all of us, two story duplex in the plaza. They got that for free. Did they? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Tim, Tim Curry was telling them they got they that they got this great room and everything, and somebody famous had just stayed in it because they were mm-hmm. trying, I think, to keep from getting sued for yes. allowing a child to use a stolen credit card to stay at the plaza. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and his dad works at a toy advertising agency with Tom Hanks as a boy in a man's body. That's <laughs> <laughs> where I always pictured he worked because I loved Big, and that's the only place I knew him from. That's hilarious. So I have to, I do have to say, this movie, which is set in New York, just like Elf. 
just like Miracle on 34th Street. Like those movies, apparently they don't want to use the real name of a famous store. Like was that, uh, was that supposed to be FAO Shorts? The toy store was supposed to be FAO Shorts, but they didn't use it. Just like Elf had gimbals and... Uh, yep, instead of Macy's. And what did Miracle on 34th Street have? Was that gimbals too? Do they call it gimbals too? I think so. They did. Yeah. Funny. FAO Schwartz, I don't think it's doing so hot right now, guys. It shut down a long time. It shut down a few years ago and now it opened it's opening up again this year in Rockefeller Plaza. Right, right. I don't yeah. think I don't, but it's not carrying the same gravitas. They're selling FAO Schwartz stuff at Kohl's. It didn't open yet. But yeah, so that's what they've been doing since they closed down. They've been doing that at Kohl's and Macy's and a few other places. And now oh. they're reopening in uh in Rockefeller Center. So I guess it's the year of the toy store reopenings, right? Because Toys R Us is coming back now and mm-hmm. people forget how awesome toy stores are. Okay. Can I decide to say FAO Shorts is that store did most of its business during Christmas. So I am so excited for that to open again this year because that is part of Christmas in New York to me. Like every time you go see the tree or the Rockettes or Macy's. You always take a trip to this toy store afterwards. So I'm very excited it's opening up again. My boss was talking about, we were talking about our podcast and uh, he was talking about how FAO Schwartz was a big deal for him when he was a kid. So like that was a, a part of his trip to New York all the time was FAO Schwartz. And let's just be honest, when they go to that toy store and they walk in, I remember <gasps> as a kid, I was just, I mean, struck it's magical yeah. yes elves riding on unicorns i mean it does not get more magical than that and that cool i don't know what it was the cool face blowing thing that i'd never noticed before yeah like the clock yeah like the that cheeks was... that were puffed out oh yeah. that was so cool i loved the toy store owner too oh me Duncan. too me i thought he was like Duncan. the perfect he's what he's the type of guy you'd like to envision owning these types of stores right this childlike yes. wonder kind heart Absolutely. You the exact risk- same character he plays in Rookie of the Year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you would risk life and limb to protect his toy store, right? I would. You totally would. You would attempt to murder two people to protect his toy store. Multiple times. Okay. He, his, he, he was bloodthirsty in this one. He <laughs> attempted to kill... First of all, that first brick that went off the building... Uh uh-uh. uh, Marv, Marv would have been dead by the time the second brick hit, or the third. <laughs> oh gosh! All I could Every think is, time it just gets funnier, though. It does, and all I could think is, man, that guy is seriously concussed at this point. <laughs> I thought to this is Sarah when he's on the ground and he can't speak for a while; he's just blabbering. I'm like, oh wow, they're portraying it realistically. They gave him some brain damage. <laughs> <laughs> but, but then he got up and started talking. Yeah, um, he recovers nicely. Let's let's be honest though. That that's not Mars' first first brain damage. <laughs> <laughs> this character's got he he's had he suffered a few head injuries as, aside from Kevin's. I just oh, so funny. Gotta love Kevin's logic, right? He thought he was going to be in serious trouble for the credit card fraud, which is why he ran away from the plaza. <laughs> But then, he, but then he calls the police after trying to murder these two guys. Like, <laughs> that's He's okay. A little kid. I told Sarah they should do a sequel, a proper Home Alone three, where he's like Michael Myers in Halloween. The psychiatrist is like, I knew this kid since he was eight years old, and I saw darkness in those eyes. Well, you know, oh in 2015. Did you guys see what Macaulay Culkin did in 2015? No. Uh-uh. Did he do that? For uh, not the, the first episode of uh, the web series Drivers, he comes back as an adult, Kevin McAllister, who's obviously like really messed up from his parents leaving him multiple times. So in response to it, Daniel Stern made his own video as Marv that, <laughs> he, that he released, like part of his Reddit AMA. And he's begging Harry to come help protect him against from from uh, Kevin. Oh my gosh, that's so funny! All these years later, yeah, it was it was pretty funny. We should link to it on the social medias. Harry, <laughs> Marv is on point in this movie. I like this Marv better than first Marv. He was funnier in this one to me. I actually, I, I, I pity Marv. I really do. I I do, Marv. but. I also enjoyed his. We talked about the first one where Robert De Niro was originally supposed to be cast as Harry. 
Yeah. All I could think of, oh, if he was cast and then the sequel is in New York, how different of a <laughs> movie would that be? <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't see Robert De Niro playing the inept role. Yeah, no. no Robert De Niro would have got that gun working. I think he just would have pulled out the gun and shot him. I mean, it would have been <laughs> one and done, right? <laughs> I, I did love though when when Kevin has a really pissed off and Harry's just like I don't care if they give me the chair I'm gonna kill him <laughs> I do have to say for a movie that references finding somebody in New York City is like finding a needle in a haystack multiple times Kevin crosses paths with the sticky bandits multiple times the sticky bandits cross paths with that blonde woman multiple times that was so funny when kevin (laughs) he's like "Hmm, i need to get these guys to leave me alone i'm gonna grope this woman and make her angry and the best part about that scene what made me laugh so hard was after she slapped after she hit merv he just starts pointing to harry to let her know it was him instead (laughs) yeah (laughs) so julia did you like the bird lady i know tom wasn't fond of her oh wait i'm not gonna say i didn't like her i just found it really annoying how formulaic it was right Mm -hmm. but i liked her as a character yeah same story different person yeah given that's how the whole movie was it was just a repeat then she didn't bother me at all i liked the whole that the bird plot line was nice i love their interchange even if it's just for the atmosphere um, in the attic of mm-hmm. the symphony. I thought that was a lovely, I, really, I loved the music at that point, And I just always thought that was super cool to be in an attic space like that. So she didn't bother me at all. I was just waiting for her to point out which one of those musicians was her granddaughter that didn't talk yeah. to her, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> I mean, to go back to it being a carbon copy, they borrowed a lot of the same jokes too. I'm all alone in New York. And then he smiles and he's like, I'm all alone in New York. Just like mm-hmm. the first one he did with the house. Yep. And then he the did. Kevin scream. Yep. Once again, the parents are in first class and everybody else is second class citizens back in coach. Once again, the parents I mean, it is. It's check all... to make sure all their kids got on a plane. Forget that. If I'm flying, if I'm flying, I'm in first class. My kids are on their own. My mom, <laughs> get to the back, lady. <laughs> I will say, I don't feel like Catherine O'Hara had as much to do in this movie as she did in the first one. I liked her performance in the first one better, except for the scene at the end where they reunite in front of the Christmas tree. Yeah, so there's a lot less heart in this movie, and I believe her a lot less in this movie also. That was definitely missing. It didn't have the heart that the first one did. It sure tried. We also had that. She did have the Kevin scream again that she, you know, we reprised that. Yeah. And I, Uncle Frank was still cheap. Oh, <laughs> a cheap Frank. freeloader. <laughs> You're not going to ruin this trip for me. Oh. Your parents paid good money. I know I, I know I shouldn't be complaining about a free trip, but you guys need to work on your wake-up service. <laughs> Cheapskate. Gosh. So what's his brother? I know they call, him, they call him Uncle. I think it's the dad's brother, isn't it? Oh, he's so much older. Yeah. And the bedwetter is their kid. For the longest time, I thought that was Kevin's little brother. And he mentions in this one how he's the youngest. And I'm like, he's not the youngest. That bedwetter's the youngest. And then Marty was like, I'm pretty sure that's his, it's his cousins, not his brother. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, yuck. <laughs> so that was surprising. I particularly hate Biff in this one. Like the beginning Biff, but the ending Biff was better than the first movie Biff. Oh, you mean the beginning I- Biff where he's giving the speech ladies and gentlemen i yeah. uh after that despicable show of bulliness i don't buy the family being upset with kevin at all in that situation me either when he kept yeah getting, there's no way it would have getting crapped on yeah, it was way less believable than the first one i do want to say one thing and it goes back to what you said earlier julia no one involved with this film they set out to make it an exact copy because we have to remember Home Alone 1 was the biggest comedy. It was the biggest film of that year. It was still in theaters the following April. It was so popular. Mm-hmm. Wasn't it for a while the biggest comedy ever released? Yeah, that too. But like yeah. that year, it was the biggest film, period. So, of mm-hmm. course, they weren't going to mess with the formula or anything. Mm-mm. No need to. How did this do at the box office, out of curiosity? 
if you don't have those statistics, just keep on talking and you can cut that out. So critically, it didn't do well. With audiences, it did. Financially, it made $359 million worldwide. It opened up at $31.1 million, which is over $14,000 per theater. It was successful. So the first film made $467 worldwide, million worldwide. This one made $359 million worldwide. So it came in under $100 million less. But That's still, probably about right for sequels, isn't it? Yeah, and especially for a comedy sequel, like... Yeah. It still was massively successful, whatever the yeah. critics thought of it. I mean, I think so, any, I think any, I think any, any producer is going to be happy with a three hundred million dollar film. If they're not, they so, need to get their priorities straight. Right. <laughs> did, did you guys know that? Well, this was back in the day when movie novelizations were very popular. Tim Curry did the novelist audiobook. Did he <laughs> really? There's an oh audiobook God. for this. <laughs> and I the bet book, it's terrible. <laughs> the book itself starts out with a prologue with Marv and Harry in prison, and Harry has a nightmare that they're back at Kevin's house, and Kevin nearly kills them. So it sets up like that. Oh a year later, he's still having uh, PTSD flashbacks about what happened to them. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> um, what did you guys think of the whole Tim Curry, Rob Schneider, like the whole hotel staff subplot with Kevin? It made me laugh. It's Tim Curry and Rob Schneider, yeah. so it's funny. Uh, and that funny chick from Adam's family, too. That was her, the weird cousin who marries Cousin It. Yeah, the one who marries Cousin yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. That was her. Yeah. I knew she looked Did you familiar. see? Good job, Julia. Did you Julia. see who the airport ticketing chick was when Kevin got off of the airplane in New York City? No. Was it's it? Ali Sheedy from The Breakfast Club. Really? Yes. Honey. Oh, Party awesome. and I had to stop and pause it. We're like, why do we know her? And so I had to look it up. I just love the first ticketing chick he runs into and they mess up all the tickets and that's how he gets on the plane. But she says, do you see your dad? Yep. Okay, go find an empty seat. An empty seat? Aren't we well, in planes that still assigned seats back then? <laughs> <laughs> well, he had just dropped his ticket. So she figured since he was the last one on there, the empty seat would be his or somebody that wasn't going to show up anyway. Okay, well, logic. Right? That's logical, isn't it? That is logical. One thing I do want to bring up is how much I love the music. Oh, yeah. Uh, The atmosphere in general is rich. But that music, the moment you hear it start, it feels like Christmas. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah, the atmosphere in general, like you said, Julia, I mean, I may be biased, but... Oh, no. You're not even being biased. You're being factual. Christmas in New York is its own character. And New York is its own character in this movie. This one is more Christmassy to me than the first one. Maybe not by much, but it just is. I mean, you, I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. The moment he walks into FAO Schwartz, mm-hmm. if you don't feel like an eight-year-old child again, I, don't, I think part of your soul has to be black and your heart <laughs> is ice. So we've talked about New York being a character in movies before, like specifically Elf. Elf. And this presented, and it's a, again, a product of its time. New York, when Elf was made, was very different than New York in the early 90s when this was made. Mm. Like this one was a little bit uh, seedier than Elf presented. Especially that scene where Kevin's alone in the park and passing yes. the hookers and the scary cab guy. and Yeah. Yeah, that scared me as a kid. I remember that being terrifying, especially the cab guy. Oh, well, I think that cab guy was in another one of my favorite old movies, a Don Knotts and Tim Conway special private eyes. Did y'all ever see that movie? Uh-uh. Nope. Oh, it's so good. I think he's in that movie. So, so do you guys have any favorite quotes or scenes? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I really like that scene where Kevin beats up the bandits. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so one of my favorites is a Marv alone scene. And it's where he's in the basement after having fallen through the gigantic hole in the floor. And he's covered in paint and he stands up and he goes to wash his hands off. But Kevin has connected jumper cables to it. And that's like an electrical charge. And he's like evilly sitting there turning the dial up. Like that was the moment where I'm like, this kid really is total sicko. Because he was like cranking up the dial. So Marv goes from screaming, like shaking and screaming to turning into a skeleton and screaming. 
And it's like my favorite part. I was crying. I was laughing so hard. My kids were like, are you okay? And I'm like, that part is so funny. Again. I feel bad for him, but it's just hilarious. Again, death. <laughs> so, so one of my favorite scenes, and even though I think she was better in the first one, I mm. love the scene where Kate, and her husband are talking to the cop to report Kevin missing. And the the cop's like, has the boy ever run away from home? No. Has he ever been in a situation where he's been on his own? Well, as a matter of fact, this has happened before. It's become sort of a McAllister family travel tradition. And her husband's like, funnily enough, we never lose our luggage. And they both crack up and knock on the wooden desk. (laughs) And the cop just stares at them. And she's finally like, he, he was left at home by accident last year. And Peter's like, that's what my wife meant when she said this has become a McAllister family travel tradition. <laughs> oh my Have gosh, you... that part was funny. <laughs> at that point, wouldn't you think the cop would probably be calling DHS? <laughs> okay, there's no way they'd be allowed to keep that kid. After. <laughs> I love the fact that Kevin somehow finds the sequel to that movie. <laughs> yeah. And we have Angel, <laughs> angels with even filthier souls. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and it's filthier, more innuendo Latin dialogue than the first one, too. Yeah. 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 Like what is he saying, get on my knees and thank me or whatever. And Tim Curry, <laughs> like, thinking it's... A- <laughs> Like, I love that scene where they're, where the hotel staff and the security guard are in there thinking they're being threatened <laughs> by the guy in the other room. I found that so funny. And he's it going through, a- like, he's going through the litany of names that Tim Curry has kissed. <laughs> and he says Cliff, and that's the name of the, the secure, or the bellhop. And everybody's like, ugh. <laughs> It's not not true. No, it's not true. (laughs) Guys, I I lost it at that. I really did. I do love that the acoustics of that TV are so good that people down the hall think somebody is actually opening fire in that room. Like, man, that is a good stereo system. (laughs) And Tim Curry's army crawling out of the room. Get back inside. There's a madman. So I really like when Kevin and his mom reunite at the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree. It's after Kevin makes the same exact wish from the first one, that he wants his mm-hmm. family back and wants everyone to... <laughs> Literally, I'm pretty sure it's mostly the same dialogue. But when Kate rounds the corner and Kevin says, uh, how did you know I was there? Here. And she says, well, I knew you loved Christmas trees and this is the biggest one around. And mm-hmm. I loved that because that's where you'd find me in New York too. If I went missing. But then I love the line that follows that too. And Kevin asks, where's everybody else? And Kate says, they're at the hotel. They didn't like palm trees either. Oh, that, that hotel in Florida was just terrible. That was. And that was Kevin's complaint too. He's like, why would you go there? They don't have Christmas trees. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I feel about Christmas vacations too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Julia, what about I have you? another quote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's another Marv moment. So I like when they're about to go up the stairs. I don't even know where the upstairs was to a different part of the house or the attic. I don't know. And the door is shut and they hear something on the other side of the door. And we know that it's a craftsman tool chest staying perfectly upright as it rockets down the stairs, defying the laws of physics and gravity. But I've got their ears pressed up to the door, which is like the thing you don't do when you hear noise coming down the stairs. But they're like, what is that noise? And the inertia of the tool chest pushes them back against the wall and smushes their faces. So when it actually lets up and the door pushes back, Marv has his nose all squished and he goes, that was the sound of a toolbox coming down the stairs. Oh. I love Marv. I could watch them on repeat. I love that they're such low-level criminals. That they're so bad at their what they do. That makes it 20 times funnier. But they don't know how, that they're bad. No, exactly. No. Which is even, it's, it's just hilarious. Harry thinks they're such good criminals, right? <laughs> yeah. and He's he not trying to take Marv's it so much more seriously. 
one quote I have down that I thought was kind of it was cheesy but it was funny was when um, they say you know, they ask Ke- or the what's his name asks Kevin do you know how the TV works and Kevin says I'm 10 years old TV is my life <laughs> <laughs> So I love at the beginning when Kevin's dad is like, hey, Kevin, you better go put your tie on. We don't want to be late for the Christmas pageant. And Kevin says, my tie is in the bathroom and I can't go in because Uncle Frank is taking a shower. He says if I walked in there and saw him naked, I'd grow up never feeling like a real man. (laughs) (laughs) And the dad just laughs. Dude, they let Frank get away with way too much stuff. <laughs> I watched the first one last week, and there was the whole line about Kevin's upset that he can't watch a movie that everybody else is watching. And his mom's like, well, if Uncle Frank says no, there's probably a good reason or something. But in this, Frank's just as bad. Like, he's, he screams at Kevin that he's, he calls him a little pervert. <laughs> and Kevin tape records it and uses it against Tim Curry later on. You little pervert. <laughs> okay oh but that reminds me of something another thing they ripped from the first one they even had kevin blow up that clown and do the dancing thing with the strings to make it look like the clown was moving yep yep i always wanted a talk boy and one i didn't get one but one of my friends had one and we played with it it did not rewind and recall that quickly oh that's sad that thing was awesome that thing was awesome and i think every kid in america wanted one when that movie came out Absolutely. I mean, talk about a marketing, like good marketing in this movie. That's sure. what um, Macaulay Culkin kept from the set. Every kid who worked on the set in that big toy store got to keep one toy from the store. Oh, that's and, cool. Uh, he wanted to keep the Talkman, which because it was technically, you know, a toy, even if it wasn't from that set, he kept that. Good for you, so cool. Macaulay. Good for you. But that clown, that blow up clown. Nope. Oh, man. I laughed the way that when Kevin... <laughs> When Kevin plays the pervert thing, just the way he spins that clown around to the camera, it just has a clown going in the face, you pervert. <laughs> also a little ironic, it was a creepy clown talking to Tim, Tim Curry. Tim Curry. Yep. <laughs> that was that was good. I liked how <laughs> I liked when Marv is on the ice skating rink and Harry's off the rink. And so Marv has the sticky glove on, which I liked sticky bandits a lot more than I liked wet bandits personally. But really? I like when he was it for the physical yeah. comedy. Yes, definitely. That's fair. That's fair. Um, I liked the, uh, yeah, like he stuck his hand in that guy's bucket, got a whole bunch of pennies, and he was so excited about it. <laughs> it just cracks me up. But I like when he's on the ice, and by the time he skates, like he grabs some kid's scarf while he's skating, and then he grabs like a pair of mittens just by sticking his hand out, and then he's like sitting there talking to Harry, and he just sticks his hand out and then like grabs something else while he's standing there. It was so funny. <laughs> I like at the end when when Cedric says Mr. McAllister's room service bill sir and hands it to Buzz and he says Merry Christmas and he just walks away he's like nice family really after all of this that happens Buzz looks at the the, the bill and says Merry Christmas indeed oh dad just can't wait to tell on Kevin and you're Kevin you spent $967 on room service and I, all I could think is so he ordered like three meals <laughs> all you hear is a dad from the plaza when Kevin is standing in Central Park talking Yep. My seven-year-old's favorite line in this entire movie, and he gets a kick out of all the stuff. His favorite was when Buzz is trying to get everybody to be quiet, and he's standing at the tree at the very end. And he goes, hey, hey, guys, everybody calm down. And then he goes, (laughs) 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 and it just like, (laughs) (laughs) I like that too. Like his fingers are defective. (laughs) 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 We were wound that like four or five times. That's awesome, Julia. Um, I love when Kevin says, "You can't. You can mess with a lot of things, but you can't mess with kids on Christmas," which is true. Pretty accurate. And I also loved everything with the turtle doves, like the toy store owner's explanation. You should give one to someone very special to you, and you keep one. And then he gave it to the homeless lady at the end. I loved that because he told her he would never forget her. Yes. And she said, "Don't make promises you can't keep." Yep. Yep. She said that earlier. Yep. Does this movie pass the Linus test? I'm going to say no, because we've been there, done that, right? Yeah, I feel like he's already passed the Linus. <laughs> I feel less of a Linus moment from the mom. She has less remorse in this one. Kevin has less remorse in this one. She shows less remorse with Kevin, but when she's talking to the cops in the car, 
I bought her uh, despair that she lost her child when she says, I'd probably be lying in a gutter somewhere. Not Kevin. Kevin is so much stronger and braver than I am. And she goes on and on about how, you know, he doesn't deserve to be lost in a big city, but he's out there and she's going to find him. And he needs his family around a Christmas tree. Yeah, see, that didn't feel as authentic to me as when she was talking to John Candy in the back of that truck. Absolutely. That's what I was going to say 100%. I think, and, and I think it probably had a lot to do with just sloppy writing, probably, because I think she can act the poo out of whatever. But it just didn't feel the same. I don't know. I liked it. I thought she did a good job acting it. Well, I don't know. I didn't like that part as much as the first one. But, I mean, I'd already said, I think the first one has a lot more heart. And, honestly, for the second one, they were probably not concerned with heart. Because they figured at that point, you kind of get the idea. He's going to be found by his mom. They're going to make up. And then everything is going to be okay. At that point, you just want to see the kid murder two incompetent fools. (laughs) That horrible person inside of you comes out again. (laughs) When he lights that rope in kerosene and lights it on the fire... Curry <laughs> aftershave? No, that's kerosene. Why is a rope soaked in kerosene? <laughs> there was some scene where Macaulay Culkin just had this diabolically evil smile, and I'm like, man, this kid is twisted. <laughs> so I I have a Marv quote, Julia, and to call back to the first one because in the first one he's like, kids are scared of the dark. And this one, when they're chasing Kevin into the park, he's like, kids are scared of the park. He sounded a little like Joey. The South will rise again, man. (laughs) It's a skit of the park, man. I liked when Kevin's getting the ice cream and they say, Two scoops, sir. And he says, Make it three. I'm not driving. (laughs) Like, obviously repeating something he heard his parents say. And I liked his heart to heart with the bird lady. You know, when he tells her something like, if you won't use your heart, who cares if it gets broken? If you just keep it to yourself, take a chance, you know, basically take a chance on something. Mm-hmm. I liked that. And I got, I got a kick of seeing a Donald Trump cameo in this film. When that happened, Marty said, kids, that's the leader of the free world. And then I was like, man, I liked him so much more back then. Right? When he was a cameo in a Home Alone movie. You know, when you see him and you're like, oh my gosh, it's Donald Trump. Yeah. Who's in Home Alone, dude? That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> Who's on no, the first Prince like of Bel-Air? Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of presidents, I did like the quote when Cedric is taking him to his room. You know, Herbert Hoover once stayed on this floor. And Kevin's like, the vacuum guy? And Cedric's like, no, the president. <laughs> <laughs> you, know he's be- you know he's just sitting there bemoaning the public education system at that point. <laughs> Oh, I, I love the whole bit where he tipped him with gum and then Buzz did the exact same thing at the end of the film. But chewed. But chewed. Perfect Buzz fashion. It was all chewed. Idiot. Okay, and this is why I think uh, Kevin is pure evil. He says, oh, you want a tip? And the guy's like, no, it's okay. I'm still chewing my last one. And then Kevin takes out like a wad of 50s and he's like, okay, guess you don't want a tip. And then slams the door in his face. <laughs> Kid's a psychopath, man. Uh, he's straight. He is a straight sociopath, no questions asked. That kid is evil. <laughs> but man, he was a well, cute kid. Okay, I thought his acting was better in this one i remember going on a rant about his acting in the first one and what the year and a half between the release of these two films i think he improved well yeah, it's, no, I think it's so too. no party monster but <laughs> should we rank this puppy i'm gonna go 6.75 how funny oh, yeah. i was gonna go 6.75 also hey 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 I'm going to rate it the same thing as the first one because, like I said, I saw them the same exact time. They blend together for me. I'm going to give it a nine. Nice. Which brings it to a 7.5. You know, I feel feel okay with that placement. I really do. Oh, yeah. Which puts it at at number 11. Krampus edges it out at 7.73. Ooh. At 7.5. And then right after it, Die Hard and Santa Claus 2 are tied at 7.33. So it's in good company. It is in good company. I'm happy with that placement. 
That's cool. I'm happy that it's like in our top tier. It deserves it. It should be in the top tier movie. Yeah, I can agree with that. I did. We did ask people um, just which movie they prefer, and <clears throat> the poll results were. Facebook, 79% prefer the first one to 21%. Twitter, 71% prefer the first one to 29%, which I thought was funny. That kind of switched. Mm-hmm. Instagram, five people prefer the first one to six who prefer the second. And then Reddit, uh, all five people commented uh, prefer the first. So the first one, overwhelmingly. But I will say the one theme I noticed in all the comments were it's not that they all love this film. It's just that, again, it's a copy of the original. Mm-hmm. It is. I think maybe if this had been the first one, I would like it more. I was actually surprised how many people, how few people said they like this one more because um, not in New York. When I was living in England, most of my friends preferred this one. Huh. Now I'm going to have to go back and ask, were you just saying that because I'm from New York? From a story standpoint, that would make more sense for him to initially run into the bandits in a big city and then for the bandits to connect with him at his house in the next movie as like retribution, like they hunted him down. Julia, you fixed it. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. That'd be a lot easier than blowing up the location and expecting them to continually run into each other. Right. There you go. You fixed it. I fixed it. Uh, Chris Columbus, though, in fairness, did admit he's, he has said in interviews this was basically a remake of the first. <laughs> See, he knows. He knows. <laughs> he knows what he did. So, Julia, I believe you had a question of the week for us this week, right? I did. So my question was, we all have these things that remind us of the Christmas season starting, right? Like the Christmas lights on houses and stuff like that. But what is an oddball kind of a non-standard thing that makes you get that sense of a Christmas is here feeling. So mine's really oddball. I listen to Christmas music year round and usually people just kind of laugh it off. But around September or October, people become like when they hear it, they become a little more vehement <laughs> about me doing it too early. And I'm like, okay, we're officially entering my Christmas season now. <laughs> You know, mine is actually very similar to that. When I go to Target after the 4th of July and see they have the Labor Day stuff and back to school stuff out, that's when I know I'm entering my favorite time of the year because Christmas is coming up. That's how I know we're getting into the time of the year. So it's, it's really, that's when I get my first inkling, but really it's September when the kids are back in school, the leaves are changing colors and the Halloween stuff comes out in stores. That's when I'm like, okay, I'm very excited because Christmas is right around the corner. And I do feel like, I do. I tell people this all the time. They're like, you're rushing the holidays. You're rushing the year. And I'm like, no, I love Halloween. I love Thanksgiving. But Christmas, thats it's all counting down to Christmas. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you still give each holiday its due. Mm-hmm. You know, it's due. I, I mean, Thanksgiving, I will admit. Well, I, you know, I, so, I love Thanksgiving weekend. But I will admit in yeah. terms of decorating, I really go straight from Halloween to Christmas. I don't really do the fall stuff in between in terms of decorating the house or the cubicle. Yep. Yeah. So Tim Babb, um, host of Can't Wait for Christmas podcast, who is also coincidentally a member of the Christmas podcast network, which just launched, had like the perfect meme this last week where it was somebody saying, you totally skip over Halloween and Thanksgiving and you go straight to Christmas. And he's like, no, I don't. And it was like a date, a calendar broken out where it was like Christmas up until Halloween day, Halloween day was Halloween. And then it was Christmas up until the day before Thanksgiving. And then the day before Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving was Thanksgiving. And then the day after Thanksgiving was Christmas all the way until New Year's. (laughs) I saw that. And that's not exactly how I feel. I I give the holidays their due. I really do. I mean, I put for people who follow me on Instagram, which I knew a few of our listeners do, I decorated my cubicle and house for Halloween. Yeah. Each one gets gets a place. And in fact, Halloween, my Halloween costume made the Christmas card last year. So Halloween. That's right. (laughs) So Halloween uh, got its fair share, more than a fair share last year. 
So my oddball thing that always reminds me of Christmas and it never fails every year is the smell in our house when our heater kicks on for the first time after a long time where I'm pretty sure it's like dust being singed off the top of the heater coil, but it is such a delightful, musty, burning scent. (laughs) And every time I smell it, I get really excited because it means it's cold enough outside for the heater to kick on, which means one thing, Christmas is coming. I'm going to also piggyback off that because when me, especially when September hits and it starts cooling down a bit, when we just go for walks after work rather than go to the gym or do some, go lie by the pool, when you're walking through town and you pass the houses that clearly have wood stoves or fireplaces, when you smell the wood burning Mm -hmm. and it coupled with the leaves changing colors and everything, it is the best. It's perfect. The perfect smell, the perfect look. Yes. And it just reminds me Christmas is around the corner. Yeah. Even on its own for fall. That's why I love fall too. Just that. But yeah. If they could bottle that smell. <sighs> I know people try, but there's nothing like the smell of like when you're in the country and stuff, usually it's people like burning leaves or stuff like that. And that smell is just so much a part of all those well, my, good memories. For me. My in-laws keep their house warm up in Canada with a wood stove. So they have that going through fall and winter, like, well, in Canada, probably 10 months of the year, but they have that thing going <laughs> and it is so, this, it always smells so good. My, he's like up in the, my father-in-law's up in the middle of the night feeding that thing. And it is so warm down in the basement, like so toasty. You just fall asleep in front of it when you're watching TV or something. Oh, I love it. That sounds magical. It is magical. Christmas in Canada. Or Newfoundland. Sounds like a Hallmark Christmas movie. You know what? It probably could be. Then they they always have a white one. They always have a white one. Oh, see? Jealous. Jealous about that. I've been hitting the Hallmark movies pretty hard lately. Me too. And I meant to mention, this is actually my first, I want to real in quotes, Christmas movie I watched it this season. My first non-Hallmark Christmas movie. Minus The Year Without Santa Claus, which is my first TV special. But this right. is my first real, again, quote unquote, Christmas movie of the year. So right. that may be why it made me so happy too. Oh, yeah. So we would love to hear what the rest of you guys out there think. What reminds you, what's the odd thing that reminds you of Christmas? Or how did you phrase it, Julia? Yeah, the kind of oddball thing that signals the, the start of the Christmas season. Tom, do you have a question for us for next week? Well, somebody asked us, what is our level of concern for getting burnt out on Christmas movies at the weekly pace we're going from Packer 09? I'm going to go on and answer for all of us and say that I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried about it either. There are so yeah. many movies and I'm not even close to being annoyed. That's good to hear. Uh, Ask us again next December after we probably have like 20 more bottom fives. And- okay, so question of the week is from Disco 54. What does everyone miss from your childhood Christmases? Not Ooh. a person. I like that one. That's a great one. So thanks, Disco54. So if you have always dreamed of celebrating Christmas in New York and having a memento of that memory, we can almost help you. We can't get you there, but we will get you a memento. Anthony is going to the Rockettes at Rockefeller Center and has offered to get a a present for one of our listeners who leaves comments or reviews our podcast. So... Get those reviews in. You can do review us on iTunes, which is our preferred place of, for reviews, or Facebook. You can comment on our Facebook page, which is uh, facebook.com slash tisthepodcast, on Twitter at twitter.com slash tisthepod, or on Instagram at instagram.com slash tisthepodcast. Also, we are excited to be a part of the Christmas Podcast Network, a collection of 10 other Christmas podcasts So you can get your fill of podcasts just like this one. In addition to content from other listeners, we have some extra content too. We have stuff that's not Christmas related. We have some stuff that is Christmas related, but really veers off into the deep end of time allotments really seems to be the, the defining factor. We have a Patreon page set up for our personal podcast. So if you go to patreon.com and you search tis the podcast, you are going to find that for a small minimum of a dollar a month 
donation monthly, you get access to this extra content I was just talking about. So we have discussed graphic novels on there, specifically Batman Noel. We discussed the Office Christmas Episodes Extended Edition with a whole lot more quotes and babbling on. We are going to be dropping a Thanksgiving special episode here in just the next week or so of all of the Friends Thanksgiving episodes that we're all super excited about. We'll be Which covering- we're actually recording tonight if you're listening to this the day we drop it. Oh, so watch and listen after you donate. Um, we're also going to be covering Christmas songs that are on the radio and Christmas songs that we love. And we're going to be doing some Christmas commercials. I mean, we are venturing out into lots of different mediums. And so if you are interested in extra content for a small fee, we would love to welcome you to join us there. We have a lot of fun creating that extra content, but rest assured, you can always find good free content from us right here where you're listening to this one right now. Right. And our next two episodes we're doing, which will drop in our regular free feed, are 1996's Jingle All the Way, which is going to uh, drop the week of Thanksgiving, and more specifically Black Friday, which is why it was timed that way. And the week after that, we're doing 1994's Miracle on 34th Street. So I'm super excited to cover both of these movies, guys. Hashtag He's My Santa. And if you are listening to this on our regular release day of Monday, you have only 1,032 hours until Christmas. This is the last week we will be over 1,000 hours. That's crazy. It's only 43 days, guys. It's only six weeks. Six weeks. Holy mackerel. I can't wait. So do your homework, guys, and we'll speak to you next week. Bye. Bye, guys. Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. bite out of that i will murder you in your sleep well now you know i'm gonna have to i was gonna say anthony send me the audio (laughs) (laughs) oh he's like okay kids go down there and find my nut